Good evening. I'm Marcus Leader, and I would like to invite you on a journey of discovery as I pull back the veil and give you a glimpse of the multiverse through the eyes of a Toltec shaman. So sit back, relax, turn up the volume, and turn down the lights. You're now listening to The Shaman's Brew.
And that was the amazing Peter Fippen playing Veil from his soon-to-be-released album, Summerland. You can find all of Peter's work by going to www.peterfippen.com. And now, with my continuing effort to bring you up to speed on my research in consciousness and my research with the Monroe Institute, I'm going to let you eavesdrop on a private conversation held between some of the Gateway participants and Robert Monroe himself as he addresses them in midstream during one of their week-long sessions. There's a lot of insightful information here, and I would strongly advise that you listen closely to some of the things that Robert is revealing to them. With that, I present to you Robert Monroe addressing one of the Gateway Groups at the Monroe Institute. This institute that you're attending and its educational division, the whole unit is not one man by any manner or means and has never been. All the way back, beginning in 1958-59, there have been supporters, participants, ranging from physicists, psychologists, doctors, MD types, uh, engineers, a lot of those fellows, and uh, surgeons, educators, professors from various universities, and a goodly number of other similar types have made their contribution through the years to what the Institute is now. And the best way you can get a handle on that is look at the texture of our current board of advisors will give you a feel for that. Uh, look at our professional division and you get another feel of what we really are. And beyond that is this mass of people who are simply having a good time because they participated either in a gateway or something akin to it. So that would give you another feel. The second thing is that I'm sure if the team didn't tell you that the interesting change that took place all the way in 1985, if you can believe it, from 1950, very quickly in 1985, we moved it over uh, into a non status and a separate independent organization from the interstate industries. So it's important to know that that movement and why it was made. So in our organization, uh, no one is taking down uh, uh, six-figure salaries or anything like that. It isn't that kind of thing. Well, there's not the money to do it, of course, too. But, <laughs> but that's not the motive and the motivation of the Institute. But the, these were the two things that I keep forgetting to tell. And I'll move it over here because it's more viewable. And I did cover that where you are, did I not? See what else I can find in here. Oh, I found a nice, clean, bare sheet. Isn't that fine? Now, I did also give you the line of demarcation, did I not? Hmm? All right. We're going to take another look at that particular LD and give it another kind of form, just for the plain meanness of it. Can everybody see this with reasonable 
viewing fine. The LD, line of demarcation, bang, bang, crash. Now, let's put below the line, which again is the area of the knowns, remember? Uh, let's put a big mass of disorganized stuff. And that disorganized stuff is human thought. You would be amazed the depth of disorganization <laughs> that you find in it when you view it <laughs> from another perspective. Be that as it may, with all the stuff that you know what the, of which humans think and the mix of it, that radiates out, wham, 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 whip, like that. And, uh, there is an inverse square law at work, I hope, but we're not sure. On the other side of the coin is that eternal M field that comes down through here like this and radiates through there. Now, a funny thing has happened on the way to the store, as it were, where we, us, how and why did we get here? This is a thing that is a subject of great curiosity, to say the least. Well, let's take <clears throat> a typical one, but not the most important one. Here, you, we are moving along here, and boing, we hit that part of that radiation, and we smell it, taste it. Say, What's that? So we move in a little lever over here to another, and we get another taste of it. You say, you know, that's real interesting. I wonder if, well, what that is and what that's like. So you're trying to figure a way where you can move in here because it's getting pretty strong stuff and sticky and this kind of thing. So you're very cautious. And at that particular moment, as you're contemplating, you're perceiving all this in here with great curiosity, all of a sudden this big man, man, wouldn't that's a misnomer? A he-she? That's more like it. Uh, uh, appeared. It's what do you want? And you say, oh, well, what's that down there? He says, that's humans. And uh, you say, well, can I go closer? And he says, well, uh, not unless you be human. He says, well, I'll be human. He says, you what? He says, well, I'd like to be human. And he says, well, I suppose you could if you really wanted to. And you say, well, how do I do it? He says, well, just call me Ed, incidentally. I'm the entry director, and just so you can call me Ed for short. He says, oh, yes, Ed. Okay. He says, the first thing you have to do in order to be human, you say, and you say, oh, don't misunderstand. I just want to get a taste, a sample, and zoom in and zoom out. That's all. I don't want to stay there. Oh, no, I wouldn't think of staying there. That, that's just a taste, you know, just a little sip. And Ed looks at you and says, yes, yes, I understand. So what you do in that process, he says, the first thing that you need to do in order to be human is recognize that time-space exists. You say, well, somehow I perceive it. There it is. He says, well, what you perceive is only part of it. There's a lot more to it than that. He says, well, I'll, you say, well, I'll take my chances. He says, well, the other part is that you have to recognize uh, that 
when you become human, that you have an important thing you must do in order to be human. You say, well, what's that? He says, well, you have to have shut off all of your present memory and your present self. Otherwise, you can't generate this, this human consciousness. You say, oh, sure, I, I can pick it up when I get out. And uh, he says, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he says, the other thing is that you just, you are really on your own because that's what that is down there is that people are on their own. Those who come in and become human uh, make supposedly their own decisions. He said, oh, I'll make my own decisions. He says, yeah, yeah. So he says, now, if, they, if you really want, we can set it up. You say, oh, sure, I got to go. He says, all right, first thing you got to do is, what do you want? Do you want to be male or female? And you look and say, what's that? He says, never mind. He says, he says, can I select for you? Oh, yeah, you tell me which way. All right, fine. He says, the next thing is that you have to uh, make a decision of where you want your entry point is. And he says, um, that's a decision that you have to make because there are kind of problems. He says, for example, in, in, on Park Avenue in New York, there's a wait list line, a long wait list line to get there. Can't get Marin County, California, long line. That kind of stuff. And he says, Beverly Hills, almost impossible. So he says, but he says, we've got plenty of fast takers, say, in Africa. Instant service. You can get in right away. Uh, <laughs> South America, the same thing. Easy, no problem. And uh, he says, and, and I can just really rig it. And you say, well, uh, that first one, you s it sounds pretty interesting, but you say it's waitlisted. Uh, he says, yeah, yeah, Park Avenue, forget it, but in New York. He says, but, and you say, what, if it's New York? And it's close to that wait listing. Isn't there any place in New York I can get in? And he thinks this is, yes, I can get you in, as a matter of fact, pretty quickly. Uh, just right now, right? For, just wait and see. You see, that's fine. You're right. He says, all right, you've got to be careful now. Remember, you're on your own. He says, oh, I can make it. I can make it. So he says, okay, you agreed? Sign the contract. He says, okay, fine. Click, I sign. So he takes you and he goes, Koon! <laughs> and you go, bang. And at that bang, you look very closely, if one were, eight were there, and they would see a little newborn, blue, newborn baby squalling and screaming not hearing the screams to let me out of here, let me out of here, but just a screaming baby, newly born, lying in the broken glass, the garbage, and the dust and the dirt on the landing of a fifth fuller walk-up in the Bronx, while the 13-year-old mother, having just given birth, is hurrying down the stairs to get away. And so one begins life here. The thing that happens after that is where the action really starts. You go through that life process, and the symbology can been, have been 100,000 years ago. The whole symbology is still the same. And you make your exit, and you start out again. Now, originally, your intent was to take your escape velocity and go on out. 
and continue wherever you were intending to go or whatever you intended to do. But right about here somewhere, you begin to bend a little bit. The reason is that as you made this process through here in what we call physical life, you picked up a greater load factor than you realized. Unconsciously, you picked up that load factor and you in, had friction which slowed you up. The combination of those two is expressed in the bending of that where you, no one else, no law, nothing else, makes the decision when you said how many times, I got to go back. It's just something I wanted to do and I didn't get a chance to do it. I wanted to have five children instead of two and I got to go back and have three more children or some such thing. Or I never got to drink alcohol. I'd like to go back and drink some booze. Whatever the reason. And you say, oh, just say to yourself, just once, that's all, and then I'll go on my way. And so you begin that turn to make just once more, one little more run, just one more for the road or whatever. And at that moment, that decision, which was yours and no one else's, no law, no rule, just you, you lost your escape velocity. And you went into orbit in this area. And you went down and around again. Had another life. And as you came out of that, you still were, as in essence, above this line. So you were recognized still from whence you came. You came up around here and you made another decision. Having lost more velocity, having picked up an additional load factor, you're here. And you say, oh, it won't hurt to go back once more. And I've always, always wanted to ride a camel. So you decide to go back and ride and own a camel. So round you go again and go through the process here. And again, you are steadily losing velocity and your orbit is decaying, as you can see. Once you get below this line of demarcation, as it were, you're thinking more about here than you are about there. Your memory of you as you originally were is declining because of the overwhelming input from this human radiation. So down you go again for another life, another one, another one, another one, until you get to this point where you're locked in. And you have little, even in between life sojourns, you have little, if any, perception of this radiation from whence you came. And there's a word for that, which I probably have already used, that fits it very, very accurately. And that word is, we all have become human junkies. We're addicted to being human and the human experience. Whether that was a part of the original design, you can have your own conjecture about that. But that is fact. If you want to prove it, that's the point. You have the ability, growing right now, to begin to prove these things to yourself. No one else can tell you. You can prove it to yourself. So, that's the first point of entry. There are other ways that entry 
takes place up here. One is one of the more amusing ones, and you will begin to perceive these in, in other people. That's the fun part. Uh, one is the, what is called, or what used to be called, uh, a remittance man. If you remember in the colonial empire where they had a black sheep in London of a noble family, and he was just embarrassing the family tremendously by his bouts of whatever. Uh, and so the family shipped him off during colonial empire days, say, to New Zealand, Australia, Singapore, and remitted money to him monthly to keep him there, to pay him to stay away from London and the embarrassment of his presence. What happens here, it's very interesting, you, we will find other people, other beings, non-human, making an entry here, and they have all the appearance of having been paid to be here, and they don't really want to be here, but they've been paid here to be here because of the fact that someone sent them here and paid off to get them here. Another form of it that's equally interesting is the one that has such profound merit is, is the, uh, the being who appears to be on the run from some other energy system, and he's looking for a place to hide. He's got to hide somewhere. And he spots this and says, oh, that's great. Wham, and goes in. And here are, here are the guys after him, uh, what, uh, who can be the old version of the KGB or whatever after him. And what he doesn't know when he makes that dive is that every time he exits and ends a life sojourn, he again is over here. And when he does that, these pursuers are ready to grab him and say, gotcha. The other thing that makes it even worse is that when he sleeps at night in that, <laughs> you're, you're, you're right on the edge of it, in that past 21 era, and he's sleeping and he drifts out there, Oh, they're ready to grab him right now because he's far enough out of phase with his physical body. He's a good target, and they want to grab him. He's a, he's a, and so he has these horrible nightmares all his lifetime trying to not to sleep. He, he, becomes a, he becomes deathly afraid of sleeping, and he becomes much, much more afraid of dying because that means the boys will really gotcha when he dies and take him back for whatever reason. Then there's the other types, of course, that in turn are uh, the missionary types who perceive all of this roiling mass of disorganization and want to do something about it. Uh, you could say they're a super form of do-gooders, but they come to fix it, help it. And so they come in here and they in turn the price of losing their memory, their personality, but they still try to express it. And most, if not all of them, become enmeshed in this whole cycle themselves, forgetting all about what the real motive was, was to help, and they get boozed up themselves. Then, the other part of which, one that I'm very familiar with, is where uh, a friend of yours gets enmeshed and you go in then to retrieve your friend, to rescue your friend, and you too get enmeshed. More common than you think.
most importantly, the what the real, uh, I'll put it in our modern jargon, the most attractive advertising for this being human, bar none, and which attracts most, if the highest percentage and the majority of those who come to be human is to meet a graduate of this particular compressed learning school. A graduate of the being human experience is, uh, I have to be unequivocal about it, is a, is a god in other energy systems. And you have to think of it that way. <laughs> is a god in, as we term God, put it that way. And remember, uh, our concepts of God from one perspective are, is very much local traffic type of uh, perception. But there it is, is that that's once you meet a graduate of this particular system, truly a graduate, then in turn you, and probably have, said to yourself, I will do anything a thousand times, a hundred thousand times, whatever, if I can be like that graduate. And that's exactly the important thing. Because a graduate is much on the order of what we perceive to be a super something. And the availability of that being and where the, those graduates go and be is something that we will not get into tonight, but uh, it becomes obvious that they are no longer interested in local traffic. So I can, I can just hear the radiation of all of you as you're saying, well, what about us? Where are we? Are we locked in? Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you are those, and I can give you a number of different descriptions, uh, but, and you can figure out the acronym when I say you're the SAers, S period Aers, who have begun the recycling where you, in turn, have begun to work yourself out more and more. In other words, you're on your way out. You have begun to achieve a deeper and deeper orbit. That's who you are. Step by step, laboriously, lifetime after lifetime, you have begun to accumulate or re-establish escape velocity. My best guess, and it's only a guess because it's so hard to measure, that most gateway graduates are up in here sometime. In other words, they are on the verge not of achieving escape velocity, but way up here on what I call the last timer role. I see you as those who, when they make their exit from this sojourn, this time, will get into this last sojourn spot of contemplation or thinking about what will be my last run in. You are a last timer to be. So what that role is that you will play for the last time is something that 
you will decide not now, but where you are in this contemplative, non-physical state. And I might add that some have stayed there for thousands of years. <laughs> and I say that in a very funny way because that is out of time, but by our concept, they would have stayed there for thousands of years. And you have some very, very, some very, very fascinating options, knowing that our recorded history is this limited, when the span of human history is uh, about 10 to 20 times that long, at least. So that gives you an idea of what the, your options are, and your options don't uh, become limited to the future. They're all up and down that span of human existence. Fascinating? Great opportunities. Think what fun you can have, you know? So that is where you are, how you are, and why you are. And it again has something of extreme interest. And what I need to do then is show you why some of those things are in that way and how that relates to you. And this is interesting in that it will help you begin to perceive you as you really are. And I have to tell you a story in order to do that. When I went through a span of stages in my goals, my desires, my first one was and you can see how these things begin to change, and I have some interesting news for you. You will change new also, so don't worry about it. It'll be very automatic, but mine, I have to do the hard way. First of all, in, as I developed this perception as I am, or thought I was, what happened was that I got into the idea that my goal would be to be in the service of humankind, having perceived those up there in that outer contemplative period who were th still thinking about how they could help humans, and having met those coming in who were uh, mission-bound or being missionaries or whatever. My goal seemed to be that could I possibly do something or continue in the service of humankind, what, forever? I never even thought of what forever meant but that being the goal, to be that, to help all these miserable characters that were still stuck back here. This had been my goal, and was for many years, until one of my non-physical friends, uh, we got into the discussion of goals, and he said, well, maybe our goals are different. And I said, well, to him, I says, I don't see how they could be worse. We, we're so much alike. And obvious when I thought about it, I took months and months to get to this because there are other parts of life to do other than just simply sit around and contemplate. I'm not in my case anyway. So I finally got around to, yes, it's a great enlightenment. Aha, yes, I know what another goal is, and that's a beautiful goal. And that goal was to go home because we all have this intense nostalgia to go home. And I thought, yes, that's for me. I want to go home. What I want to do is take my human learning experience and go back home and help home be more than it is. This was my goal. 
And I, that's great. Oh, I live this, and this is wonderful. And in, in built into it were all the usual things. Go back, the local boy makes good, and he goes down the street with his, his zoot suit or, or his whatever, his super loafers, whatever, you know, the whole thing. And, and his bag full of tricks, well, or knowledge. And that seemed like uh, I'm putting, adding the reality to it, because quite probably much of that was uh, the noble goal of helping home be more than it was as I remembered it, uh, but being realistic that probably my, my uh, egoism was in there muchly too. So, and I had been home twice, uh, way back in the early years, and home to me was a, a, a state place where there were these beautiful moving clouds in different rainbow hues and things like that. And that was where home was, to be in those clouds. And as you were in those clouds, there, were, uh, there was this, and I'm only translating something that can't be translated, there was this tremendous thousand-piece symphony orchestra of music playing constantly, or you could hear it. And then a, a thousand-voice choir behind that. And all this mixed into this beautiful state of being. And how wonderful I remembered that exquisite beauty of it. And each time when I had visited there uh, by upon request, I had to be pulled back here because it was so endearing to me to go home. I came, and I gave it the letters KT95 because they, what it was was non-translatable as I could figure it. So after uh, uh, a long and years went through, and I happily said, "This is, this is the thing I would like to do is go home, going home. That's the whole thing." And I, I equated it with all the things that we do as humans of that nostalgia to be home. And we put that at a physical site somewhere, where we were born or where we grew up, and these kinds of things. And I tied it all to that. And that going home process uh, also was a part of the scientific things that we get into as humans. Uh, the idea of gathering information and knowledge or listening with multi-hundred million dollar telescopes to hear something from out there hoping what, or, or traveling to the, to the moon and to stars, it's that urge, that going home urge, and that's what it looked like to me. And that worked wonderfully for me. That was a great, great uh, developing thing, that thing to go home. And I even remember the curls playing, which was a term for young teenage kids, and playing the games and playing in those wild games that they played. And, uh, indiscriminate types of games. I wanted to take home what I had learned here and give them to the curls and let them play some new games. Anyway, to make it very short, and it gets long, I'm sorry I get so windy, what happened in that normal course of events, and this is a span of years, one of my non-physical friends, uh, this inspect type, which is short for intelligent species, which to me always, always equated to a non-human. Uh, <laughs> well, somebody laughed anyway, good. <laughs> the, uh, this whole process of 
going home was so important to me that I asked, I didn't know how to be sure to get there. So uh, this inspect taught me what I've labeled in my loose terms the quick switch method, which is a simple means of you're here and you want to be there, so it's like stretching yourself like a rubber band to where you want to be and letting go here and snap, you're there. It's that simple. <laughs> and he taught me that in this one run, and that's how I first learned that. And uh, the, with that method, sure enough, there I was. I wanted just a quick visit. I hadn't been there for years and years in my physical life. I wanted just to reinforce it, to feel what it was. I didn't want to stay there. I just wanted to feel it. Sure enough, the quick switch, worse and click. There I was in the beautiful rolling clouds. There was the, the constant change, the kaleidoscopic change in color. And here was the music flowing in and around and around like that. And I lay back and just reveled in how beautiful this was, how wonderful, how enchanting. It was exactly as I remembered it. And I thought, this is indeed worth going home for. And as I, and as I lay there, the thing that has always been, quote, successful, and I must have said it to you earlier, that gets into my act is my analytical left brain gets into the act and does something. And that's the only reason that I can make things work. And it, as I was lying there, reveling in this and wallowing in it, my left brain triggered something like a little itch. And I said, what's that? And after a little bit, a little itch again. And I thought, something wrong? And I looked and felt these beautiful, bubbles, rolling clouds and watched them. And after watching them consistently again and again, I was startled because there was the itch, click the same pattern was repeating itself. What I had seen, quote, two minutes earlier or two eternities earlier was back again. It was like an endless loop of this patterns and colors moving like that around. And I watched it again to be sure that it was in a loop. Exactly the same roll going here, went around, and here it comes again. And I thought, damn. And so my itch got bigger, and I listened to the music, and carefully, and here's this, and it went around, and here's all a bunch of others, and again, or a certain time later, I said, oh, excuse me, shed. <laughs> and then... I began, I said, I'll give it one more shot. I backed out of the clouds and the music and went down to where uh, the curls, young kids, as it were, uh, little vortexes of energy, vortices of energy, were playing. And I pulled out of my bag of tricks and said, hey, kids, how about some new games? And they looked at me with this, new games? Who would want to play new games? They said, oh, these are new, they're fascinating. We don't want to play any new games. Get away from us. And they went on playing their super crack the whip and everything else like that. And I couldn't get them to play. And I stuck my games back in my bag, as it were. And then this great realization came to me. And it was a shock because it was a cumulative thing. I couldn't get 
go home. There was no question about it. That I couldn't go home because I didn't fit anymore. The glove that I was had become, uh, well, the hand would not fit that glove of home. It was a, a great deep sadness that I realized I could not go home. Conversely, with that same realization, I also knew why I phased out of KT-95 and came here. A very simple reason. Can you gather reason who it was? I was bored. <laughs> I was bored. I wanted change. I wanted progress, something other than playing games or lying in the clouds. And it was a very, very deep sadness that held me for a long time, perhaps two or more, three years maybe, where I didn't have any particular goal because of the, it was a uh, it was a lost lost dream as it were recognition that I could do that so naturally one reaches out and grabs for something else and this inspect short for intelligence species friend I thought that's what I would like to become one of the inspects I have to become that it's important that I become that because they are what to me were godly. They had all the attributes that seemed to be in. And also, then uh, to reinforce that, uh, I said, well, could I get into your inspect land or your inspect state just a little bit? And uh, he, she said, oh, sure. And he took me over to this place. And here was this flow of intense warmth, friendliness, love, beings moving in this direction and they were all heading for this inspect land and I think I wrote about that in Far Journeys and that became my goal immediately from that on because of the tremendous sense of unity that was expressing itself within that flow moving into inspect land so from that moment on I decided joyously I'm going to be an inspector. And the continuing relationship with this being did not denigrate it. In other words, uh, it was if uh, that was sort of accepted, accepted, accepted. And so I, that went on for four or five years or whatever, joyously. Here I am planning when I get this side of my being human completed and go get on my way here, I can go be there. It was great stuff. Until, <laughs> until, on one, and I got to remember my process at that time was pretty simplistic. I found that the easiest way for me to phase out and be in this OB state was at three o'clock in the morning, go through a couple sleep cycles, and then I'm awake, I'm rested. And I'm totally relaxed. It's absurdly easy and will be for you if you want to play in that field. It's simply to roll out of this. It's so simple, you'd be surprised. Go to 21 and you're there. It's so simple. And it's at 3 o'clock in the morning. Everything's quiet. The phone's not going to ring. All sorts of excuses. No cats on the bed. You know, all sorts of stuff. So, um, what, had, what had happened was that historically, Many, many years prior, 
oh, probably about five years after I started getting into the out-of-body state, uh, I had in turn gotten into a frustrated point that I didn't know what to do with this. I had no idea what to do with this. So what, in desperation on one of those three o'clock in the morning states, I rolled out and said, I don't know what to do next. I, how many times can I go to the West Coast on a test? How many times can I go pinch people? You know, all these kind of things. And so I said, total self, you take over. And I'm not knowing, I didn't like the word soul, so I used that to cover whatever it might be. And with this beautiful certainty, wham, all of us, the whole other patterns of this operation in this state of being opened up to me from that moment on. And merrily I went on the way, letting every time this total self do the driving and do the navigating. All I did is just go along, as it were. And so that had been going on for years and years and years. So back up to recent time, one particular meeting with this inspect and we are having a normal conversation, normal communication, as it were. And all of a sudden, he, she said, I'm sorry, Mr. Monroe, but this is our last meeting. And I got this great shock. What? And I, he says, this is the last time we can meet. And I said, well, what did I do? Did I do something wrong? No. He said, you are just moving in a direction that you need to move, and this will not serve that purpose. And I was totally bewildered and shocked. And I said, well, won't we ever see each other again? So he says, yes, but, and, but not in this form. Wink, gone. Winked out. And he disappeared. And uh, talk about shock. I, I thought, what I had done wrong? What, had, what, what, what was happening? So uh, he had, this he, she had said one small thing in a previous, in the, that the basics were important, and that was the phrase, basics were important. And, that, and in thinking days and months after this cutoff, what it was, I remembered the phrase. And I thought, basics, what basic, basic thing had I missed? What basics? And in going around the circle, then suddenly this big aha opened up, and it would, took a long time to get to it, and that was about four years ago this big aha, and I said, you know, I have been riding around in this total self-vehicle all these years, all these years, and I've never looked under the hood. You understand what I mean? <laughs> I don't know who's doing the driving. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who's doing the navigating, and I've been happily doing it. So I decided to do that, is to look under the hood of this eye. And I give this to you tonight because it, I think it's so important. May I drink my coffee? <laughs> Why is this important? Because you're in 21, and this is the opportunity for you to play. We uh, all like the tendency to move outward and perceive externals. One of the key things today, tonight, that I think you can do is know yourself first. Because that's what I had to do in going back and looking under the hood, as it were, of what I am. 
I can tell you what I found. I found, first of all, in instead of I, instead of in 21 and rolling this way and put it in, it's a crude way, but it's the best I can do. I rolled this way inside and moved inward, and it took weeks and months to get this piece by piece knowledge, information, or whatever. But what I began to find, first of all, was a catalog uh, uh, being continually updated on every possible part of me, of my experience, my emotions, my activities, whatever. It was a memory bank, if you want to put it the way, a life history recording of me. And you could go up and down that whole life history and back to when you were a two-year-old and, and uh, you can, and the stupid things that you got, you had curiousness of, and I can I give you a little, I have to be intimate with you because I can't do it any other way. Uh, for example, I had always wondered why I was hiding in the bushes as about a two-year-old or three-year-old at my grandmother's house. So I went down the line to find out what really happened, and it was very amusing. I, I didn't want to go in the house because I had a facies in my pants. <laughs> Stupid, but it's these kinds of things you can find out about yourself up and down that thing, and you can, you can find all the, the stupid things and all the brilliant things you did in your, in your life up to date. And there it is, and it's, it's constantly being added to. It's as if, another way of putting it is, is, it is as if we are all operating a computer workstation here, if you can think of it that way, and that's a mainframe, and you're feeding the mainframe with all this data, and you're offloading it over here in a, what might be called short-term memory water, but that's all the permanent feed up there. And uh, it's all anything that you know or think you are or hide from is all there. It's all open, but it's, you, you look at it, it's so clean and so beautifully organized that it's fun to get to know the real parts of you by hitting that mainframe that is a part of uh, of that whole thing of you. This is all you. This is the points. Not anywhere else, not in some wild universe. This is you. Moving inward to that, <laughs> another layer, which is a busy place, as it were, uh, and I watched it with great amusement, that there's, uh, it is a, an emotional layer. And this is a layer of all the emotions you're constantly accumulating and there's a mechanism being, that's shoveling them off somewhere, like this, joint, joint, joint. It's like a, a conveyor belt that's throwing it out this way while your life is dumping it in here. It's very interesting. I, and I found out later, of course, that's the way it looks, but it's actually sorting it out and classifying the different types of emotion. So then moving, and this take, it took a long time to get past these fascinating things. And then there is this intellectual level layer and getting into that and that was a lot of familiar things but there again it was knowledge that I had no knowledge I had that information which is fascinating mm. and totally and I spent weeks and months in there it's again like a system of cataloging and beyond that is where I really uh, found there was like a barrier there and like a wall, and the wall had been pierced, and 
I later found out how and why, but it was as if there was a, uh, a form, uh, a crack in this wall, a hole, where uh, it was humanoid in shape, and the shape of me, my physical self. It was very funny. There's a long story about how that happened, but that's another part of it. And that, I suddenly, uh, one uh, afternoon, had the courage to go in. And what did I find? It was astounding. And I'm afraid you're going to have to listen to part two of Robert's story in next week's show. For now, that's about the end of the show, so I'd like to wrap it up by thanking all of you for listening. And uh, if you have any questions and like to um, get in touch with me, you can reach me at marcus at shamansbrew.com. This is Marcus Leader, and you have been listening to The Shaman's Brew on Jackalope 105 FM on the Jackalope Media Network.